Welcome to Beltway Talk, the podcast of the American International Automobile Dealers Association, where we examine the intersection between Washington politics and the auto retail industry. I'm your host, Hannah Oliver. Today's episode is brought to you by AIADA Affinity Partner Podium. Trusted by over 60,000 businesses, Podium is the ultimate messaging platform that helps drive your online reputation. Podium helps make it love at first search. Find out more at AIADA.org. I'm excited to welcome industry veteran Steve Shannon to today's Beltway Talk episode. He has over 40 years of experience across the industry, including Vice President of Marketing at Hyundai Motor America. Currently, he's an advisor for Podium, and he's here today to talk about the state of the auto retail industry and some of the trends he's seeing impacting the dealership space in 2021 and beyond. Welcome to Beltway Talk, Steve. It is great to have you with us. Great to be with you, Hannah. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, well, I know that you are a 40-year veteran of the industry, and for many, you probably don't need an introduction um, for a lot of our listeners. But just in case, can you tell us a little bit about where you've been and what you're doing these days at Podium? Sure, happy to. Well, um, first off, I grew up in the Northeast. I was one of those kind of kids who rode his bike to the public library to read Road and Track. So I loved the car business as a kid. I joined GM. Um, I was in the Ferro Assembly plant, of all places. Uh, loved it, but soon realized I wasn't a manufacturing guy. And then basically had a good run at GM in some interesting marketing positions, both in the U.S. and Europe. Probably mm-hmm. Saturn was an interesting kind of highlight. Yeah. Um, I then went on to work for Hyundai, Hyundai USA, which was a fascinating experience. Maybe the just two highlights I'd point out there, working for guys like John Krafchick and Dave Zakowski mm-hmm. were, were highlights. And then after about four years there, um, bringing it up to, to today, I kind of fell into a nice set of gigs of helping advertising technology companies that want to grow their auto business. And that's what very luckily brought me to Podium. Okay. So I know that you're here today with all of your your wealth of insight to talk about the state of the industry. So I guess let's start big picture. Can you share some of the bigger trends that you're seeing shaping the auto retail space in 2021? I think there are some really obvious ones, but I'm sure um, with your experience, there are some also not so obvious factors shaping the industry. Can you share about them? Sure. Yeah. And let me start with kind of one big one. And then I love that old adage about may you live in interesting times and boy, it sure is. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about it, Hannah, we're in the midst of a giant experiment and it wasn't one we planned. It was thrust upon us. And that really was the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you what I mean by that. You know, a little bit of auto 101. Uh, auto is a volume business, right? High fixed costs, high economies of scale. Then you have a lot of optimism in the business. So let's say a new product is coming out. Hey, we can sell 100,000 of those. Mm-hmm. And you and you need a very positive business case. So you pad the numbers to make it work. Well, what happens? We have overcapacity. Just give me a rough numbers. Let's say there's annually about 17 million units that people will consume. And there's about 19 million units of capacity. Okay, so, you know, plants are going to run. I remember in my days in both companies, if a plant is made to make, built to make 400,000 cars, they're going to make 400,000 cars. Mm-hmm. And and the sales organization, of course, dealers see this downstream. You know, the sales organization's job is the plant's going to make them, you go sell them. So here's the problem. What does that drive? Lots of bad things. High incentives, high fleet business, low residual values, price merchandising. Dealer example, it also drives the factory guy coming in and saying, Mr. Dealer, I'd like you to take 50 of these. Even though you have 100 on the ground, 
and you sold 30 last month. <laughs> so, so, so that's the mm-hmm. situation we're in. And then along came the pandemic and the pandemic did something that we as OEMs could never do, which is short supply. Um, there's a lot of money out there with either a new car buying population had plenty of money during the pandemic. And so bottom line is um, good things happen, right? List prices were high, a really rich mix. I mean, you can't have a too big and too expensive SUV or pickup. Residuals are up, incentives are down. You know, a couple of interesting mm-hmm. dealer quotes. One was they said they're selling everything but the furniture. <laughs> and another one was customers are less picky. They'll take anything. So to me, so mm-hmm. to me, we look at that that phenomenon or that dynamic, and, and a lot of people are saying, hey, this is pretty nice. <laughs> it is, are there ways we can avoid some of the bad behavior in the past and it required as i said this sort of experiment so we'll talk talk more as we go on about elements of this but it's that to me that's the driving dynamic going on right now is we've had an enforced experiment that we kind of like <laughs> and and how do we how do we maintain you know and it's not that there won't we won't be long some model or another model in the future you know we're not pollyanna-ish here but man, how do we learn these lessons and, and keep as many as we can going? Mm-hmm. Well, I know that um, dealer sentiment surveys recently have shown that inventory is topping the list of concerns for dealers right now. Um, what is your take on this ongoing issue? How long do you forecast it to last? And I mean, kind of tying into what you just said, but how do you think there's aspects of this limited supply that might impact how dealerships do business in the future? I think there are, uh, Hannah, yes, but I, I guess here's another case where, you know, it's it's bad news if you look at it one way, but it's good news in another. Uh, yes, if mm-hmm. I could, an interesting quote from Thomas King at J.D. Power recently, that uh, June topped off a blistering first half of 2021, multiple year-to-date performance records. It was the best first half of any year on record for retail sales. Records are also mm-hmm. set for average transaction prices, total consumer spending, and retailer profitability. So, okay, that's pretty good, right? So let's 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 stipulate that that this lack of availability hasn't been too much of a problem yet. But it's it's going to get worse, and and probably a good point. You know, Bob Carter from Toyota, who I, I would say I probably listen, want to listen to what he said. He thinks it's going to be the mm-hmm. second quarter of 2022. So he thinks we're probably a full okay. year away before what he described as inventory starting to stabilize to match demand. Um, one interesting number, right now dealers in total have about 930,000 cars on the ground in inventory. But this same period, two years ago, pre-pandemic, they had over 3 million. So that puts that puts mm-hmm. in some good context how lean things are. Um, you know, we've had some great months. The first half was, as Thomas said, blistering. I mean, back in May, April, we had a SAR of like 19 million units. But but this yeah. month is going to be more like around 15 million. So I guess my ultimate point here is it's going to start to hurt. It, it hasn't, it hasn't yeah. affected business and certainly dealer profitability that much yet. But it's going to get worse now before it gets better. Well, that'll be interesting to watch it play out. Um, let's talk about the factors affecting retailing and how dealers do business following the pandemic. Um, I know that they made a lot of changes to a lot of their sales processes during the pandemic. 
Um, from your perspective, how many of these or which ones are sticking with consumers? Um, and I guess, you know, a lead on question to that kind of obviously is the digital question of how much of these sale processes have moved into the digital realm. Yeah, great, great question. And I, I probably in my answer, I would focus on that, that digital retailing. I, I, I mean, I think digital retailing is here to stay. Um, I mean, heck, you can buy anything else online, right? As more and more people are doing, we all do that. Pe- people mm-hmm. are buying homes online, sight unseen. So yeah. if, if they're buying homes, they, they sure can buy cars. What, what's so interesting is that, you know, pre-pandemic, all of the tools for a dealer to sell a car online pretty much existed. So it wasn't for lack of the tools, but we almost collectively needed a, a shock to the system. And I think the pandemic provided that. So, I mean, it was fascinating to watch when I was at, I was at Podium. So back in March, April, right when the pandemic hit, everybody was in like for about a month or six weeks, it was shock, both at the OEM side, the dealer side. It's like, holy cow, what do we do? And then I tell you, there was the most amazing effort to basically stand up a digital retailing capability. So OEMs, mm-hmm. dealers, and of course, all of the platforms, the roadsters, the car nows of the world, um, they jumped in and put tools in place. Um, they're not perfect, by the way, we can talk more about that, but they're pretty darn good and they're getting better. And, and here's an amazing thing for data for people that bought a car online or, or did a number of steps, customer satisfaction is higher than those who didn't. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty remarkable. Um, now, one thing I will say is that is that not everybody, you know, J.D. Power had a good model of the eight steps of digital retailing, right, from finding the car online, selecting it, um, financing, right, agreeing on the price, et cetera, et cetera. Not many people are doing all eight steps, let's be honest. That's that's in the future, but okay. but a significant number are selecting their car and and taking some other steps. And one one really interesting thing I found, um, uh, Hannah, a data point from some work that JD Power did, the satisfaction of people with digital retailing of those eight steps, the highest was in negotiating the price, which is really remarkable, right? Because that's I mean, if you think about the two most significant pain points a consumer has buying a car, one is the price, right? Because negotiating can be mm-hmm. anxiety inducing and how much darn long time of time it takes. So the fact that the yeah. fact that here's digital retailing, and in fact, not only is, is a high point price, but also the time it takes. So, I mean, I'm, I, this is not a, a panacea or a silver bullet, but wow, if digital retailing can help with consumers two most significant pain points that's pretty amazing so that all tells me it's here to stay and the process will get better consumers will get more comfortable and frankly dealers will and i guess finally i'd say you know once dealers really put together their process for it it will save them time and save them money because it just it's more yeah. efficient for somebody to do a lot of this from home you know, from the from the comfort of their office or their iPad or their their iPhone, you know, than it is more labor intensive come in the store. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of changing gears a little bit, but you know, we're here to talk about the state of play and a lot of disruption in the industry. So since you're here in the hot seat talking disruption, I know that the Carvanas and rooms of the world would have us think that dealerships are 
obsolete or about to be obsolete. Um, can you share your take on the dealership model? Why you think it's still relevant with consumers and with investors? Sure, sure. Um, what I'd start off by saying is in the, in the auto business, anybody that comes along and promises major disruption, <laughs> take, take, a, take a little bit of a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, as uh, I think it was Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. So here's the way I think about this. There are fewer, more resilient sort of business models across the whole business landscape than than the auto business in general and auto retail in particular. I mean, for for 120 years, we've had the same model. And and while you never want to be, oh, it's never going to change. Business is going to be exactly the same way it's always been. It's been a remarkably resilient model. Let me give you an example. And I'm, and I'm an old timer, but you may recall back in the late 90s, there was an issue, there's there an effort underway, primarily among the domestics for OEMs to buy dealers. You know, there was a mm-hmm. there was a period where GM bought a bunch of Saturn dealerships. And and Ford created something called Ford Retail Holdings. And that was mm-hmm. going to be the disruption, right? That's new. And we're going to consolidate and what happened? It was a disaster. <laughs> and I remember, mm-hmm. I remember Jack Smith, then chairman of GM, apologizing to dealers at NADA for kind of a lame-brained idea. So, so it was, it was what it was the new hot thing that was a shiny object, and you know what? It didn't work. And I can show you and tell you so many other examples where you want to pause a little bit. Um, I mean, dealers do an amazing job. Physical locations, despite digital retailing, physical locations are important. Service is hugely important. Uh, touching and feeling the product. Uh, it's still an emotional business, right? You want to see, mm-hmm. you want to see the car in red or silver. You want to feel the leather. Um, and so, um, it, it's it's has it changed? Yes. You know, has there been some consolidation? You know, as the auto automations and lithias, um, you know, consolidate a bit, they buy up some stores. Although even that, if we go back 20 years when that started, I think the feeling was it would be much further along than it is now. And I guess one other way I may mention the, uh, you know, take a take a chill pill, as my <laughs> as my kids would say, <laughs> let's go back, let's go back to to four or five six years ago when. Elon was promising a million robo taxis by the end of last year. Now there are zero. Um, people were promising yeah. self-driving cars, car sharing, right? Car sharing was the big thing. Subscription models. Where are they all now? I mean, OEMs rushed in to put together subscription programs. GM had Maven. Uh, Cadillac had had their version of that book by Cadillac. And, and Ford had a big program. If I'm right, every one of those has been unwound or sold since. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not against those. <laughs> and I'm not saying, to be clear, they're never going to pan out. But it's just a case of disruption in the auto business always requires, hmm, let me think about this. Let me understand it better. Because there are some fairly well-trod you know, paths of of economics in the auto business um, that... that some can be disrupted and 
you know, one other example I'll give you. Remember Uber about five years ago, four years ago, had a massive problem with cars they bought and and they had a gigantic residual value loss on cars. And it was about two or three billion dollars. And and I mean, and nobody was was gleeful about that, but there were many in the industry looked and said, anybody who works in the fleet department of any OEM or any rental company <laughs> knows about the immutable laws of buying a car, using it, then selling it later. And so, so I bring up that as just another little example of, of um, take the take the disruption thing slow and easy. That sounds like great advice to me. <laughs> Shifting to another big issue, um, EVs. Can you share for listeners some of your insight on the trends you're seeing in the space and how this is going to change dealers in the coming years? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic. Um, you know, once again, it's coming along a little slower than we might have expected, but it is here. Um, and you mm -hmm. look at the, I mean, a day doesn't go by when one of the major OEMs around the world is announcing another twenty five billion or thirty billion that's going to be spent over the next five years on X number of models. Um, that's going to happen. Look around the U.S. with with you know regulatory issues and government funding, you know, keep in mind there too, that, that Europe is ahead of us on that and, and car makers really are global. So even though sometimes we look out our proverbial window and we don't see that many Priuses on the road or that many Teslas or that many ID4s, Europe has also helped driving this. So that's, that's kind of pushing it along. Um, so there are a couple of big things for dealers. I mean, the number one is EVs require less service. Um, they, they just mm -hmm. they just do the nature of the way they're made. So when you look at things like, you know, if we had a number of the total amount of service capacity that U.S. dealers have, right, the number of square footage, <laughs> right, eight zillion service bays, that is not that is yeah. that is more than is going to be needed in the future, and it's there's just no way around that now. It's it's not a near term problem. It may not not even be a medium term problem, because as 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 much as we push both on the on the demand side, with OEMs having super attractive EVs and government ICE cars, internal combustion will be around since until we're gone. I'm gone. So so um, mm -hmm. so this is one of those things. It's on the horizon. But I would say if you look at the buy sell activity now, a lot of people are buying dealerships today at high multiples. So, so yeah, no, no one is yeah. saying, boy, I don't want to be in the business of having, having more dealerships. One other really interesting, though, Hannah, I mentioned, and there was a report a month or so ago, I read that, that paradoxically, it's more expensive to repair an electric car. And, and now, now we've got to talk about who makes that money. But here are a couple of examples they gave. It's much harder to diagnose what's wrong with an EV car. So more, more service hours, let's say, you know, eventually probably will get better, but more service hours will be spent figuring out mm -hmm. what's wrong with the car. The second thing, and this is probably more of an OEM issue, um, although it's more of a cost because it's a warranty issue, um, EVs tend to, you, you tend to replace big expensive components. Now, some mm -hmm. people may think in cars you do too, <laughs> because you, 
I mean, remember the old days you could you could replace a light bulb in the headlamp, and now now the headlamp is five hundred dollars. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's even dramatically more in ice cars. So so I mentioned this just as this way of saying, once again, the future is a little bit cloudier when it comes to repair than than um, they're just much easier, much less expensive, and it's much simpler. And and oh my god, you know, sort of a doomsday doomsday sort of thing. So that's. That's how yeah. I look at probably electric cars. And, and I guess finally I'd say is, you know, there's a fair amount of consumer demand for them, but it's it's lagging where we thought. So it's still, there's still range anxiety. There's still, um, okay, I'm okay, uh, you know, driving locally to work, but, you know, I want to go to Salt Lake City to ski and that's 600 miles. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, an interesting journalist just did, I think in New York, uh, to Boston, and he talked about his travails of finding charging stations that that mm-hmm. are not where they were supposed to be. They're out of service. Um, so that's another thing I should mention there too with this charging stations is, you know, we can have all the EVs that the, that the OEMs can spit out, but we need the consumer demand, and we certainly need charging stations. And it looks like that's going to probably lag right now, the development of the vehicles themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to watch how it develops in the next few years. Um, and there is so much change in the industry. Um, can you share also, Steve, what you're seeing from Washington and how some of the priorities coming out of this administration and Congress have the potential to alter the industry? Uh, sure. Um, well, we're, we're kind of in the middle of the development of various infrastructure projects. And I think even if this doesn't air for a little bit, we still will be. And I think we're in the negotiation stage of, you know, there are many who have very big appetites for significant spending on infrastructure, mm-hmm. on charging, on subsidizing consumers to buy. Um, and the question is really going to be when the deal making is done, how much is left? And, and not only how much is left, but the two sides of the equation. Do we, do we incentivize consumers? You know, for example, we certainly have had the, the, the you know, up until recently, the $7,500 incentive um, from the government to buy an EV. I know, I know my new home state of California had $2,500 on top of that. So that's one way to certainly induce the purchase. Um, but one of the things slowing purchasing down is still the infrastructure. So if you're a, if you're a government regulator or if you're a congressman, you know, do you put your chits? Let's say you've got to make up a number here you want to put you know, $250 billion or $100 billion into EVs, you know, where do you, where do you put your chits on the, try to drive the demand or try to drive the infrastructure, which is a, something that's slowing demand down, but it's, you know, they're, they're, they're here to say, and if you just look at this OEM number of investments made, I mean, you know, Hannah, there are companies that have already admitted they have ceased all future development on gasoline engine cars. I mean that's mm-hmm. that is yeah. profound. So, the the two liter engine in your in your Camry, or the you know the the, the V8 in your uh, whatever mm-hmm. in your big Lexus, that's it. Those are it. And when they have you know used up their useful life, they will be replaced by electric powertrains. Yeah, yeah. Well, Steve, I know we've talked a lot about disruption today. Um, 
And I know you've mentioned before that you think that's a sometimes overused term, um, but you've seen a lot of disruptions come and go, which you discussed in previously here. But I guess my big question is, after working our way through this discussion, can you just take a minute to talk about what factors you think are going to be disrupting our industry in the long term and will bring about lasting changes to how dealers do business? Uh, sure, sure. Well, certainly um, the transition to electric cars, right? You, you, on, the, on the product mm-hmm. side, that's one, right? That is going to drive significant change and everybody's watching that. I would say a, a subset mm-hmm. of that is the drive to pickups and SUVs. I mean, consumers have spoken. They want cons- they want SUVs and they want trucks. And just look at the number of OEMs who have stopped producing passenger cars. You know, it, it's sad mm-hmm. for those of us who liked sitting lower, a little better ride and handling, maybe a little better fuel economy. The jury's out. The, I'm sorry, the jury's in. It's headlong to those. So, so those, I would say, on the product side, we're not going to worry about AVs for now because that's that's way down the road. I think we've talked about the the digital retailing. You know, one thing I I really would like to mention that's a it's a minor point maybe, but it's really not, which is in the context of um, digital retailing. You know, JD Power did some work on on satisfaction, and one of the things that they found was consumers who text with their dealer. You know, this this whole issue today of how do consumers want to communicate with their dealer? Remember years ago there was emailing or you, you wouldn't give somebody your phone number or, or it was just the, the jury's out and consumers have spoken. Consumers want to text with their dealer and with small businesses. Mm-hmm. It is, it is more efficient. It is faster. 98% of consumers open up a text the day they get it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's just a so much more efficient way. And, and you know, a big JD Power study I mentioned that Podium commissioned three big conclusions. Consumers overwhelmingly want to text. Dealers are actually lagging in that. And the amazing thing is that dealers that do it have higher satisfaction. Every brand included, so whether you're Mercedes-Benz or whether you're Kia, your satisfaction with the process, both sales and service, and, and also young and old. You know, um, everybody thinks only young people are on their cell phones. No, the numbers are dramatic that, that older people have convinced and have moved that way. So so mm-hmm. so the issue of, of, of getting dealers, and that was another thing we saw during the pandemic, is putting in place the capability um, to do that has been really, really important and valuable. And let me just give it quickly a couple of quick use cases, right? So let's say you want to make a payment and you don't want to have to come into the store, you can be sent a link and just click on this, mm-hmm. pay for your $50 oil change. Let's say you want to do video, a video chat. You're in your driveway and you're wanting to show the service advisor something about your car. And one last thing I'd mention, the whole kind of what, what Podium happens to call their capability campaigns, but the, able, the ability to deliver a, a sales message I mean, let's take the example when it's when it's um, Black Friday, right? Or when it's you know when it's President's Day in the Northeast, cars are on sale. And if you're a dealer, you may be on Facebook, you may be on TV, you may be in the newspaper, right? Why not be texting with a, a with, mm-hmm. with a curated CRM, you know, group of people that you have that let's say showed an interest in Elantra, 
And as long as you're, you know, um, legally compliant, which most platforms make sure you do so people opt in, here's texting is, is another whole channel to not only communicate with existing customers, but talk to talk to new customers and um, and people that, hey, Mrs. Smith, I know you came in looking at a, a Subaru. Um, they're they're only two nine nine a month. Can can you would you like to come in and take a look? So so the, mm-hmm. the, the number of different ways in which texting makes the process better, simpler. And for a dealer, it's cheaper. You know, I was in an interesting meeting with one of the big auto public auto groups. And they gave me the number six to seven dollars is what they think a phone call costs them, right? So you take the service advisor off his job, he calls somebody, the person doesn't answer, <laughs> right? Maybe they call back and don't. Mm-hmm. They call again. I don't know about you, Hannah. If if you get a call from a number you don't know, I'm guessing you I'm guessing you don't answer it. <laughs> no, I don't. But if you but if you get a text <laughs> and it says, "Hi, Hannah, it's Steve." from your friendly Honda dealer and your car's ready to be picked up or we have an Accord in red, just like you wanted. How'd you like to come take a look at it? So that's, that's to me, it's maybe disruption with a small D, but it's, uh, it's hugely important because it's just, it's so clearly the marriage between here's what consumers have said they want. And from a dealer, it's, it's more efficient. It's more effective and it's cheaper. And boy, you get those marriages of two things and it's just great for everybody. Well, Steve, you have been a wealth of insight today. Is there anything before we wrap up that you wanted to add that we didn't get to during our discussion today? Uh, no, I just want to give you guys at AIADA a shout out. Um, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, I got my start on the domestic side of the business. Um, mm-hmm. But my, my four years at Hyundai, I, I know we had some interactions with you and your organization. I think you guys do a terrific job and have a, have a great, uh, great system of support for your X number of dealers that you have and uh, just really excited and proud to be working with you guys. Well, um, thank you so much for joining the podcast today, Steve. Um, we'll maybe have you back one of these days to do some more discussion about the uh, disruption in the industry. Great. And uh, to all the dealers out there, good selling. Thanks for listening into this episode of Beltway Talk and our discussion with Steve Shannon. Feel free to drop us a line and let us know of topics or guests you'd like to hear from on future episodes. I can be reached at oliverh at aiada.org. Join us again next time for Beltway Talk.